White Sox Weekly, your two-hour all-access pass to everything White Sox. And it's pretty deep out and left, and this ball is gone. How about that? How about that timing? (laughs) This presentation of the ESPN 1000 Chicago White Sox Network is brought to you by Wintrust Bank and Mazda of Orland Park. And now, here are your hosts, Fred Huebner and Jeff Meller. Welcome in to another edition of White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I am Jeff Meller along with Fred Hubner. Quite the eventful week, Fred. We had ourselves lots of interesting things go down in the week since we last convened last Saturday. And I guess uh, things are trending upwards when you consider the White Sox were able to beat the Royals yesterday 3 to nothing. And the Royals have now dropped six in a row, falling into... Are they still in third place, or have they fallen to fourth? No, I got them in third. third. Yeah, yeah still in third. third. Yeah. Uh, what A week ago, what looked like a series that could be a showdown for first place quickly changed, although the White Sox are atop the American League Central. Um, we have a... It lo- it, a couple days ago, what looked like a daunting schedule when you considered they were going to be taking on the Royals and Twins... For what was going to be 13 games, right? That's Over right. That 13 period. straight. Last night was the first of 13. And all of a sudden, if you start to zoom out, you see, oh, the Royals, maybe they're coming back to earth. So maybe the White Sox are catching them at the right time. And the Twins, the Twins are still scuffling along right now. So. Right. And what is it with hip injuries and center fielders? Because yeah. Byron Buxton got hit a similar injury. not Obviously not as serious as Luis Roberts, but Byron Buxton going to be out for a while, too. And um, so you, now you're catching maybe the Twins and the Royals at a good time of the season. And that was one of the events that unfolded since the last time we took place. Yep. Last Sunday, Luis Robert injures himself running the first base. The hip flexor. We did get a little bit of good news yesterday from the White Sox. He's not going to undergo surgery. Now the timeline has not changed. He still is going to be out 12 to 16 weeks. They will give us an update in another eight weeks or so to let us know how it's going. But at least right now, tentatively, good news. He's not going to undergo surgery. Hopefully, he'll heal nicely on his own. He is young, and hopefully that body will bounce back nicely. And maybe, maybe, you know, you cross your fingers. That timeline does still give him an opportunity to potentially come back if the White Sox can make a playoff run. Although that will will push right up against, you know, yeah. September, uh, October. So sure. well, that, th- that might be aggressive. Think about it. Uh, later on in the show, we're going to have a chance to talk to the only White Sox outfielder that when the season started, we were looking at being outfielder, the only one that's hasn't been injured. Because Adam Engels has not played. Correct. Then Eloy Menez out mm-hmm. and Luis Robert out. So yes. we're going to talk with, have a chance to talk with Adam Eaton, which right. is going to be awesome. Yeah, he came up with a big uh, RBI big single hit. last night. Tim yeah. Anderson, very aggressive on the base pass, was able to score on that. So Adam Eaton returned to the lineup last night. He will join us today at 4 o'clock. And we'll also talk to uh, your radio play-by-play man, Len Casper who seems to be doing a lot of TV these days. Sure is. But that's all right, because when Len moves Looks to TV, handsome. We, uh, Connor gets a shot to uh, step up and do some play-by-play on the radio, and uh, I get a chance to do some pre and post, and Jonathan Hood does as well. So, And we and you're doing White Sox Weekly yep. with me. So uh, we love when uh, Len Casper gets to sprinkle, sprinkle around the love a little bit, and that uh, gives us all a chance. So yeah. he'll join us at 5 o'clock later today as well. But, um, yeah, the White Sox get a win. But we should start out, I think, with what was the big story all week long, at least when it happened, when it occurred on Wednesday, the White Sox lose in extras to the Reds 
And Tony La Russa admits that he did not know the rule where he could have actually used Jose Abreu as the runner on second as opposed to Liam Hendricks new this year because they removed the universal DH. And Tony La Russa in the postgame admitted that he was not aware of that rule. Well, yesterday, after 48 hours, he had an opportunity to think about it. This is what he had to say after kind of giving a thought and seeing where we were at. I'm glad you asked the question because, first of all, I, you know, I'm a, a big proponent of the 10th inning tie break the tie rule. Not all my uh, my friends agree with me, but I do. And secondly, being in that situation, uh, uh, I'm glad I didn't try to BS my way through it. I just didn't know and I admitted it. But uh, it's a perfect example of MLB being very smart. Whoever was uh, farsighted enough to put that in, because that's exactly, I mean, when Liam left the dugout, I told him, hey, don't do anything crazy. Just taking base to base, no hit first slides, <clears throat> and you know you had hesitated to bunt because it was slipping. Up, you know, and you get him to second, uh, and even third. You know Joe was telling him, you know don't break up the plate. The plate, there are plays that you don't put on because of that. So it's it's a good rule, and uh, you know I have had a few people contact me in the game that were not aware either. I'm sure a lot were, but I, uh, but I admit. I, I meant I didn't know, and uh, it's a good rule, very good rule. So there you go, Tony LaRusse, uh, yesterday in pregame admitting that he, look, you know, you heard him on Wednesday and then admitting, yeah, I, I wasn't going to try and BS my way through it. I'm glad he didn't because that would have yeah. made things worse. But I'll admit, I was heated on Wednesday. I was disappointed with the way that unfolded. And specifically, too, I know we can get to the Larry, Larry Garcia steal as well. What irritated me is when you don't know that rule and then you find yourself in a position where Billy Hamilton's at the plate yeah. and you, and you, and, and you again, can't bunt. I'll give him, right. yeah, Craig, because you, you don't want to be sending Liam Hendricks to the plate on a suicide squeeze, but if anybody else was running, you probably, with Billy Hamilton at the plate, would have executed a suicide squeeze, I have to imagine. That's one of the things Billy Hamilton can do, I think, is I bunt. think that's the best thing he does at the plate is bunt. Yeah, is bunt, and you're unable to do that. So uh, the whole rule, you know, none of it makes sense for the um, for Major League Baseball not to have the universal DH, and because of that, there's a trickle-down thing. Sure. And one of the rules they put in, which LaRusso said, and he, a lot of people have said, it is a good rule. If he knew about the rule, he would have used it. He would, you know, there's no reason to have your guys, your pitchers running. I thought Ozzie Guillen brought up a great point on the post game the other day, and he was talking about how, you know, you look at it, and the National League is letting pitchers walk to the plate and hit and then stay on base, but that in the 10th inning, you don't have to have your pitcher run. And that's that's kind of strange. The whole thing's bizarre. It would make sense, and eventually they will just have universal DH in both leagues, the way it was last year in the shortened season, and um, we won't have to worry about this. Well, anymore. yeah, and if we want, really want to roll up our sleeves and get into it, why did the Major League Baseball remove the universal DH? Well, I can tell you right now, it's going to be used as a bargaining chip in their negotiations in their next CBA. Sure. And the, you know, the owners are going to try and use that as a piece to get something in return. And ultimately, it's kind of silly for the Players Association to really care that much about it. Like, yeah. you know, they shouldn't be giving up, you know, future... Uh, arbitration years or hitting free agency sooner in return for the universal DH. Which Absolutely will not. Only affect ultimately 15 guys when you think about right. it in the National League. Right. So, yeah, it's unfortunate that it got to this point, but it did. And it was disappointing as a White Sox fan Very to hear your manager say, listen, I didn't know the rule. That's bad. Hopefully we move past it here. 
I know a lot of White Sox fans were heated. If you were, you can feel free to give us a call, 312-332-3776, your chance to vent. We'll talk about it. But listen, I'm encouraged where at least last night, again, he didn't try and run or hide from it. I will say, Tony La Russa, for the most part, in all the post games, he's been willing to stand up there and take the bullets when he believes that he's at fault. So the White Sox are in first place, which is still a good spot despite the injuries that they've suffered. And so hopefully... I think, too, hopefully the coaching staff, you know, yeah. it, a little bit falls on them, too. I, I need them to speak up a little more in the clubhouse. And I need that if they were all aware of it or if someone on the staff. All they had to do was say. You need to, they need to be a little yeah. less intimidated by the Hall of Fame manager. They need yeah. to be a little more proactive and maybe barking in his ear and saying, hey, we don't need, Liam Hendricks doesn't need to be out there, especially when you had an entire half inning to kind of sort that out yeah. when he went to the mound. So. Yeah, and Miguel Cairo is the bench coach, right? Yes. So he should have been able to figure that out. And says Tony, we don't need to him. Yeah, you know Abreu can run. You know. So hopefully uh, that not that you would have been squeezing with Abreu at third either. Yeah, I mean, necessarily. listen, you can say that's you know a positive outlook, a positive spin on things. I'll agree, but uh, let's hope that uh, they can straighten that out now in May and get past it so that things like this don't continue to occur. Yeah, because uh, you want to – there's probably two to three games this year. They probably could have, should have won. So instead of a 17-13 and 13 record, maybe 19-11, and 11, maybe 20-10, and 10, something like that would look a lot nicer. But they are in, on top of the division right now. They've got two more with Kansas City starting tonight. You get Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito. The one thing I, rec- I noticed was I looked at the box score from last night's game, and I know he was on the field, Angel Hernandez – um, second base yesterday. That means for Sunday's game with Lucas Giolito, Angel Hernandez is going to be calling balls and strikes. Well, uh, we got that to look forward to. I wonder if Lucas knows that. I wonder if Lucas got there and goes, oh, no, he's at second base. That well, means he's going to be behind the plate for me. Mike Miner will have to deal with it as well. Yes, he will. So, Mike you know. Miner actually did pretty well against the White Sox last outing. They usually hit lefties, but they were unable to hit a Mike Miner uh, a while back. So that was tough. Yeah, he actually, that was, they now... He didn't. Mike Miner did not get the win right, in right. that game, but that was actually the extra inning affair when um, Liam Hendricks actually yeah. blew that game because Carlos Santana hit. But a they were on, yeah, they weren't hitting. The they weren't hitting Miner at all. Exactly. Which so, up until that point, they were just destroying lefties all season long. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, and speaking of lefties, they will get a lefty on the mound today. Daniel Lynch will be uh, opposing Lance Lynn tonight for the Royals. Daniel Lynch is a rookie. He's a 24-year-old left-hander. Throws pretty hard. I think I think he hits 96-97 on the gun. Uh, now, has pretty good command as well. He's actually one of the Royals' best pitching prospects, and he made his debut on Monday night. Now, he, was a, he had a, a little bit of control issues on Monday night. I have to imagine... That might have been nerves just a bit because, again, he command has not been an issue for him, but he did walk four in his debut on Monday night, went four and two-thirds, struck out three, and so we'll see what he brings to the table tonight as the Royals take on the White Sox. But he, I would imagine he, he has the possibility to be a little bit better than he was if uh, anxiety was playing a role. Sure, you would think so. His second outing, he's got a little less nerves. He's he, he's done it. He's pitched. What was the big thing they always say? When you get from the minor leagues to the big leagues, you're pitching with a second deck. You're mm-hmm. pitching in ballparks with a second deck. They don't have that in the minor leagues. So now he's got it. He's used to it. See how he uh, throws later on today. All right, plenty, plenty of people want to talk about the White Sox. Let's start with Scott, who's in Highland Park. Scott, you're on White Sox Weekly. What's up, my man? How you guys doing? Doing well. well. Well, I'll tell you, as a diehard fan from Wednesday, I'm still hot about it, okay? And I'll tell you why. 
here's the thing. We all got on Renteria's case with that Oakland game with the pitching staff and him panicking and taking Dane Dunning out and all this. And, you know, you bring in Larusa for a tactical guy to do these things. Mm-hmm. And the combination of errors that he made, and not one of the staff guys saying anything to him bothers me. But what bothers me more is not that I'm worried about the team winning the division, because I think they are, they're they're going to win the division. But we can't be worrying about this kind of stuff going forward. And and I just really think that this is a terrible choice for, for, for manager Larissa. And I'm, I'm worried. Yeah, they should be three, three, four games up. But longer term, it's more a problem of how how – are we going to have confidence that he can make the right decisions going forward? So, and I don't have that confidence. I'll hang up and listen. Listen, here, Scott. You're, listen, you're not Thanks, the only. Scott. You're not the only White Sox fan who is losing confidence quickly. I understand that, and like I said, the only the my my glass half full outlook is that this occurred in May, and now, as I just said, hopefully the coaching staff they need to be you know they need to be on Tony a little more. They need yeah. to be in his ear because I do think surprisingly. I think one of the bigger concerns was his ability to relate to the players inside the clubhouse. Yeah, that's been and fine. that hasn't really been an issue. So, the, you know, it's it, it's odd that the one thing that you thought he was going to do better uh, was going to be a tactical advantage. But hopefully the fact that it's occurring early and they're still in first place is the optimism you can look at. He did something different last night, too, which uh, it wasn't anything that hurt the White Sox, but Mm -hmm. you and I sat here a couple weeks ago, and I talked about how I liked the way he was working with the relievers. He would leave a guy in. If a guy had an easy inning, he'd leave him in, have him start the next inning. Last night, Hoyer in the seventh, Bummer in the eighth, Hendricks in the ninth. And I'm sitting there saying, you're up three nothing. You really don't need to bring Hendricks in at this point. Mm-hmm. I know he's your closer. I know sure. you paid fifty four million. I know he can get a save, but you know I thought Hoyer could have gone a little extra and then bring other guys in because you, they've had the day off. Every sure. the whole bullpen is healthy right now. The whole bullpen. Well, now Garrett Crochet's you know, back too. But I'll say this though too because he, Liam Hendricks hasn't really been worked hard, and I think I, I know I took a call in the post game last night. You know, should we be concerned a little bit about Liam Hendricks? And I will say I do think Liam Hendricks is one of those guys who. You know, when he can get into a rhythm and the more often he can throw, the better. He needs to pick. And I have to right. imagine, too, that, you know, that's the one thing with the closer's role is sometimes if you hit a skid where either you're winning games by a large margin or if you hit the skids and you're not winning games, all of a sudden you can go, you know, five, six a week and you're trying to find a spot to get your closer in. And let me tell you, there's the other criticism is, hey, why is my closer pitching in a game where they're right. you know winning by six runs and yeah. now all of a sudden you give, see him give up a couple of home the runs. other thing we don't know as fans even as media people a lot of times people that cover the game on a day-to-day basis they may know it and Connor McKnight probably knows it and Len and all that stuff but we don't know going into a game what the order of bullpen guys is going to sure. be we're not sure a lot of times guys that cover it on a day-to-day basis they're there they know who's coming in they mm-hmm. know which three four relievers and, are going to be out there and I will say that uh, in the pregame Tony will tell you sometimes, or it's more specifically in the post game, he'll let you know that they were a little shorthanded, but he never wants to obviously give no. away a strategic advantage, so he's not going to tell you outright who is and is not available, and that's that's certainly a good point. And I'm okay, though, with the 7-8-9. I think if you can get your 7-8-9, if it's Hoyer, Bummer, and Hendricks... That's not bad, and, I know. And, and then to have you know guys like Kopech and Crochet there at your disposal, you can be in a very good position. Tom is in Roselle, and he has some thoughts on the White Sox today on White Sox Weekly. Hey, Tom, what's up? Uh, you know, I'm a White Sox fan, and I barely missed an inning of play this year. I've watched it all and actually went to a game, which was great to feel a little bit normal. Mm-hmm. 
But I'm interested in knowing, uh, you know, I mean, I know how everybody's got these statistics at their fingertips now. How many times that rule has been taken advantage of? Uh, it's obviously a rule specifically designed for the National League. Sure. And if, indeed, this was the first case of an American League team being put in that situation, and uh, if it wasn't, did the other manager take advantage, American League manager take advantage of it? So it's a fair question. I, mean, I, I, I do believe it was the first time I can recall where an American League team, now it obviously happened pr- uh, earlier in the season. There was an Arizona game. Yeah, uh, Rockies, I think, yeah. Diamondbacks. So it had it had occurred earlier in the season. You're right, Tom. Certainly National League teams are more aware of it. So when David Bell in his postgame press conference says, oh, no, we were well aware of it, you can understand why they might be more on top of it because it affects them for 153-some-odd games as yeah. opposed to just nine for an American League club. Nevertheless, though, you can't. It, I don't think that can be an excuse. You know, yeah. part of the reason is when it's a brand new rule. I feel like it should be known because a lot of times Major League Baseball will harp on it and yeah. give you the heads up and say, "Hey, this is new." As a White Sox fan, the more frustrating part mm-hmm. is if you were watching the Cubs Dodgers game later that night. The game went to extra innings, and sure. both teams, yes. both teams, pitcher was the guy that was supposed to be on second base, and they were able to go back a little bit. And I'm saying to myself. I wonder if, in fact, they knew that ahead of time. And uh, who knows? We don't know if they did. Tony said in the cut we played earlier that some other managers called him and mentioned that, you know, they were in the same situation. It's like uh, rubbing salt into the wound there. Uh, Tom just mentioned that he was out of the White Sox game. Hey, the White Sox return return home on May 11th through the 16th to take on the Twins and Royals, as we mentioned there. Single-game tickets for the homestand are on sale now. Get yours at whitesox.com slash single game. All right, plenty of people want to talk White Sox. That is what we're here for every Saturday for two hours preceding the pregame show. So we're going to give you your chance to talk. We will also discuss an all-time great who will not be joining the White Sox. We'll let you know more right here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. This is White Sox Weekly. Yes! Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller along with Fred Huebner taking your calls. 312-332-3776 on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Hey, test your luck in the Queen of Hearts raffle benefiting White Sox charities. In addition to weekly prizes, one lucky fan will win 50% of the total progressive jackpot, which is over 115k. To purchase Queen of Hearts raffle tickets, visit whitesox.com slash Queen of Hearts. Let's go on out to Antioch and say good afternoon to Jeff. Hey, Jeff. Hey, how are you guys? Good, Jeff. Hey, so really quick, I wondered if you guys took a poll to see how many people would take Renteria back <laughs> over La Russa. How do you think that would work out? Well, uh, this ahead. this week it would yeah, probably I was just yeah, going to say it's yeah all this about the week timing, it would probably right? be yeah it would probably be sixty forty or maybe yeah. seventy thirty renteria I, yes uh, I will say I am not that knee jerk personally I, I listen Ricky Renteria is is a nice guy everybody who who has met him loves him he's a great dude I do think though, players that, loved him yeah and, yeah and and absolutely unfortunately I like there were like his moves you know I. I Maybe, listen, maybe call me naive. I, 
Unfortunately, I, I, I or I th- fortunately, I do believe that Tony Larusa, like we're going to get past sure. some of these things, and, so and 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 will be okay. And ultimately, I think you and I, Fred, are of a similar mind where. For the most part, a lot of times I just I think the the baseball team is responsible for a lot. Of what happens? Create a yeah. good clubhouse, and yeah. hey, don't mess it up. And that's right. A big mess up. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna yell about it on the radio. Yeah. But for I, the most part, in the course of a season, you, you, there's the four or five times and things that have come up should be that many in the whole season. Yeah. Now we've got to see that it, this doesn't happen anymore. And you know, there's nobody that feels worse about this than Tony Larusa mm-hmm. because no doubt he is a Hall of Fame manager and he is a guy. I, you know, people that listen to me over the years, they know I don't think managers mean a whole heck of a lot. Yeah. But then they can make mistakes, and when they make mistakes and they cause games, that's that's not a good thing. Certainly, it'll be under the microscope. Yep. And, the, and and there's no doubt that the uh, you know I don't feel like he's on the hot seats. No. Because I don't think uh, Jerry Reinsdorf has any intention of, you know, parting ways with Tony La Russa. But certainly the fan base is going to be upset if there the more miscues there are as the season progresses. Let's uh, quickly slip in Joe in Waukegan before we talk with Adam Eaton coming up at 4 o'clock. Hey, Joe, you're on the White Sox Weekly with Fred and Jeff. Hey, guys. Um, I was just calling in, you know, I was like the last caller. I feel like... La Russa's making a mistake almost every week that, you know, we've lost probably three or four games from his managerial decisions. And it reminds me of of Renteria. I was hoping that him coming in, which I didn't like in the first place, um, that we wouldn't have these miscues, that we wouldn't have these little nuances that happen in the games where easily should be done who should be in the game who shouldn't be in the game there's no reason billy hamilton shouldn't even shouldn't even been batting the other day in that situation um you know i just feel like you know he's jerry reinsdorf's boy and rick Hahn has no control you know, over any of that situation. And I'd love to see him step in more and get more control of it like Theo was with the Cubs. Sure. I'll hang up and let you guys see. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate the call. Well, the, the one thing, you look at it, and you're Tony LaRussa, when you look at your bench, the guys on your bench are Larry Garcia and Billy Hamilton. Okay, so, you know, if you're going to manage the game a certain way, I don't think Andrew Vaughn has done anything to necessitate taking him out for defensive purposes right now. Andrew Vaughn had two hits yesterday. Um, I think taking him out when he did was probably a little bit too early. If you want to take him out, put Billy Hamilton in the outfield for defensive purposes. That's fine, but do it later. Do it later in the game. Don't do it. You don't have to do it just because Vaughn was on base that inning. Okay, you can do it the next inning and just make a change. I know sometimes that means that Hamilton will come to the plate anyway, but you don't have to do it in the sixth inning. You can wait a little bit later, and uh, that's what that's those are the guys that are at Tony LaRusso's disposal. So he's Fred Hubner. I'm Jeff Meller. This is White Sox Weekly. Let's pause ten seconds for our stations to identify themselves on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. All right, up next we're going to have a chance to chat with Adam Eaton, the White Sox starting right fielder. Yesterday, now he's not in the lineup today getting the day off against the lefty Daniel Lynch. Wait till people find out who's in the lineup in right field today. We can uh, let them know about that here shortly as well. But uh, right up next, we're going to chat with uh, Adam Eaton of the White Sox. We'll do that right here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network.
Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller alongside Fred Hubner, and it's our pleasure now to have White Sox starting right fielder Adam Eaton on the line. Adam, how good did it feel last night to uh, come through with a big RBI? And do you, uh, do you take credit or do you uh, give Tim Anderson a big thumbs up for his effort as well to get you that RBI? Uh, no, it's good. Uh, you know, you string a couple hits together is always good to uh, score some runs. Um, you know, both uh, both pitchers threw well. Um, you know, they had a no hit through five, and then you know Carlos is continuing his hot streak as well as you know our bullpen came in and did uh, a phenomenal job. So um, you know, in a game like that, uh, those are the games you got to win. And uh, you know, especially when you get to the playoffs, you're going to have really good starting pitches on both sides and. And it's kind of who blinks first. So it's great to see, you know, our defense held up really well. You know, our bullpen came in and, and did the job that they've been doing. And uh, like I said, it's good to see and, and it's good to win those close ball games. Adam, you started off the season red hot. You were leading the team in RBIs. Right now you're second uh, in the team in RBIs with 19. How many times during the course of a season do you have like ebbs and flows where you look at your, what you're doing, you look at your, you know, the video and your stance and how to improve things. You only look at it when you hit a little slump or do you look at it constantly? I don't ever look at it. Okay. Um, I'm more of a feel guy than I am a visual guy. Kind of like to just, uh, you know, get into the cage and, and, and grind, uh, some workout, um, or on the field and, and just try to feel my way through things. And, and uh, I feel like at this point in, um, you know, my career, if the ball comes off the right way, I kind of have a feeling that it comes off the ball, you know, comes off the bat the right way. And if it doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't. So, um, you know, like I said, to be able to, you know, get in the cage and, and uh, you know, work through some things, uh, you know, work with Frank and Howard here. Uh, they've been tremendous. And uh, like I said, continue to grind. You know, it's a long season. You're not going to, never going to be where you hit you know 280 or 300 the whole year you know it's uh there's always ups and downs and uh, as well as i think it's kind of it's been kind of that through the whole league you know you see a lot of averages that are down and and uh, like i said we'll, we'll get going we'll uh like i said continue to put the work in and and uh you know come out better on the other end Adam Eaton joining us here on White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network you mentioned it adam so i'll bring it there you talk about the league wide batting average and, you know, you're not the only person to notice it. Obviously, a lot of people who watch baseball closely are seeing that hitters, you know, and it's in some ways it's unfair. There's a real overmatch going on in a lot of ways. And I've heard lots of people talk about how pitchers have a distinct advantage with all of the science now and the data that they're being given, whereas hitters, you know, it's a reactionary thing for them. You have to deal with it. Do you find it's more difficult at this stage of your career dealing with all these, you know, the, the uh, high four-seam fastball and then these nasty sliders to combat with? Is it, is it more difficult nowadays than it was when you entered the league? You know, it's definitely more difficult. I think if you just look at the velocity and, and how guys spin balls, it's um, it's a lot different. You know, you used to have the 88 to 92 guys that, you know, had three pitches, and, and then you had guys coming out of the bullpen, you know, maybe throwing 90, you know, two to 95 um, with two pitches, and and um, I just think it's, for me, it's the, the overall um, improvement of not only velocities, definitely the the uh, the real flashy one, but also just the developing a more, <clears throat> like, the pitches, um, as well as, I, I mean, 
it is what it is, but I think sometimes the effectively wild guys are very difficult to hit. You know, you have a lot of the guys that come up throwing extremely hard, and uh, they can put it, you know, certain pitches in certain positions or places on the plate, but not all the time and as consistent. So it's um, the effectively wild guys are very difficult to hit because they'll, you know, spot up two pitches and then, they, you know, they may throw four balls in a row or five balls in a row, and, and you have to be ready to hit. So. Um, the game is evolving and it's evolving, evolving extremely quickly. Um, the hitters, you know, we'll, we'll make the adjustments the best that we can as quickly as we can. But like you mentioned, it is a reactionary thing. So, um, you know, we'll, like I said, have to, to, uh, to evolve or die, so to speak. Mm-hmm. One of the other things that where players try to make adjustments or not is uh, with left-handed hitters and, and the shifting. You're more of a guy that can spray the ball. You can put it everywhere. Um, how what are your thoughts on the shifting and all the different rule changes they're thinking about doing, keeping a guy in so he's not in right field, have, keeping his feet on the dirt and things like that, especially for the uh, you know left-handed hitters? Yeah, I haven't heard too many of those. I, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't listen to uh, really uh, too much of that. But you know, the game of baseball has always seemed to iron itself out. You know, when, mm-hmm. when uh, we go in a certain direction and, and uh, there's always adjustments to be made. Um, you know, we go too far. The game has again has a way of ironing itself out and putting it back into the into a way that uh, makes sense. So, um, like I said, the baseball gods and the baseball itself will kind of police itself in that matter. And I think that um, you know whatever they think is the correct way to you know keep the game even, so to speak, or or you know uh, you know allow it to be played uh, the correct way. I, like I said, that's. Um, you know, that will be, the, uh, you know, MLB's and the PA's decision. White Sox right fielder Adam Eaton joining us here on White Sox Weekly on the ESP 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Miller along with Fred Hubner. Adam, uh, I was thinking about this. The White Sox right now, you guys are 17 and 13. You uh, are after last night's win back on top of the American League Central. And the last time we had a full 162 game season, you were a member of the last team to win the World Series. That, of course, being the Washington Nationals back in 2019. And at that, there was one point during that season when the Nationals were 19 and 31, 12 games under, and still came back to make the playoffs and have an epic win in the World Series in a seventh game against the Houston Astros. What is the feeling like in the clubhouse? And just navigating through the length of a 162 game season when you know that you have a good team and there's lots of expectations to deal with. Yeah, I guess don't think of the expectations and don't think of the overall, you know, piece. You know, look at it as a day-to-day grind. Come ready to play every day. And if you keep it as simple as that, um, the mindset as well as the the team uh, chemistry as well as just the team, you know, thought process is going to be really clean and really good every day coming in you know a, a fresh mind and and ready to you know really just go out at that day and not thinking of you know you told me my record we don't i didn't know that our record mm-hmm. i didn't know we were first i don't know any of that stuff yeah but, um it's just kind of outside noise that it can get in the way of what you're trying to do today and that's where we're trying to win versus Kansas City Royals you know in game two and hopefully try to take the series tonight and that's you know that's our focus 
Um, that's like you mentioned with the Nationals. I think <laughs> if you look at 19 and 31, you are absolutely screwed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah, you're gonna start, you're gonna start making golf plans and and then vacations in October. But if you continue to come ready to play every day, and I, I credit our veterans that we had on that team, um, because like I said, if you're if you're I didn't say this, but if you had a younger group, sometimes that's difficult to see that. You know, it's difficult to have that come ready to play every day, and that's all we can control. And uh, like I said, that older group we had that year just kept steering the ship in the right direction, you know, and told the boys, like I said, to, to, to worry about what we can do today, and uh, it will take care of itself, and it did. And uh, it's no different here. You know, it's kind of the – um, you know, the mindset that uh, Tony, you know, he's, I don't know how many times he's been in the playoffs, 12, 14, 16. I don't want to shortchange him, but it's unbelievable how many times he's been in the playoffs. And it's, um, you know, that message has been brought uh, from the top down to, to us to, again, continue to focus. Um, don't worry about the stats. Don't worry about what's going on. You come ready to play every day and good things will happen. You mentioned Tony LaRussa there. He certainly knows how to steer a ship to a World Series title. I'm curious, what is your reaction to the fallout from the extra inning game, the loss in Cincinnati the other day? Oh, it was just a, it was a loss. I mean, um, tough one to lose there um, in Cincinnati. We played really well the first game. Um, you know, came back the second game and, and battled our butts off again. Uh, another close game that um, you'd like to have won. Uh, you know, we, we always talk about the close games and winning the close games. And when you get to the playoffs, that's uh that's really the key is is uh like I said you're gonna face really good pitching Sonny Gray threw his butt off and uh you know put them in a position to win like I said you get to the playoffs those uh those games are gonna come more times than not in the seven game series or five game series you might have one game that gets out of hand so um to lose that game's tough we want to we want to make sure that we um, you know, do the small things correctly in order to uh, try to uh, get a W, especially, like I said, on a getaway day. You already won the first one. To be able to sweep them in two games would have been big. Okay, and speaking of the playoffs, a couple of years ago, back to the Nationals, you and I think it was Howie Kendrick, one of the most fun things watching the playoffs and watching the Nationals go to the World Series was, I don't know, the downshifting, the car. What the heck was that? And did you bring it to, with you to Chicago, or does it stay in uh, D.C.? It stays in D.C. Well, it stays with Howard when he retired. Uh, weirdly enough, right, uh, we were in Atlanta, and uh, him and I, the time that we spent together, we'd always try to do some type of car experience. We're big car guys, love cars. He grew up around them. My dad is a drag racer. I grew up around him. And um, we went to Atlanta, uh, Porsche experience. And uh, he, him, myself, and actually Michael Taylor went. And... Uh, after we were in the uh, car going back to the hotel after the experience, we were struggling. I hadn't hit very well, you know, to begin the season. He hadn't hit very well to begin the season. Everyone kind of has, you know, we had some dancing going on, and everyone's got their thing. I said, well, what do you want to do? we got to figure something out. we got to get this going. And so he brought up, well, we should drive. We love to drive. Let's, when we hit a homer, let's, uh, you know, let's shift some gears, make some car noises, and have fun with it. And uh, Like I said, the rest is kind of history with that. Um, we both we both took off. You know, I think I had maybe one or two, and ended up you know with uh, 15 that year. And Howard, um, you know, his career is so magnificent. He did the, about the same thing. And and uh, like I said, we took it into the playoffs and ran with it. And he had some unbelievable homers uh, in the playoffs yep. that 
um, you know, like I said, to be able to cap that with our, our celebration of and our love for cars was um, something that's special for me. And I've uh, I have quite a few paintings and things that people have done for us. And like I said, that celebration will forever uh, be really close to me. Adam, do you have any gearhead uh, got buddies inside the White Sox clubhouse that you can maybe uh, spread some of that magic to in case you guys do make that playoff run? <laughs> I haven't found any yet. Uh, we got some guys that like cars, but um, to be a gearhead is uh, is uh, kind of a uh, different uh, animal, so to speak. But uh, we'll, we'll figure something out. I, I got a couple of ideas. Once the dog days hits, you know, you don't want to you don't want to peak too early with those um, those kind of gimmicks. You know, you want them to last. And and uh, so, like I said, once we get into the dog days, like something, one or two things might come out. How's the uh, body feeling? I know Tony LaRussa mentioned yesterday that he texted you. He, he wanted to make sure you felt good. He said, you know, the only thing better than two days off is five days off because you guys are slated for two lefties, the back-to-back here against the Royals now. Your body feeling good after yesterday's game? Uh, yeah, it, it, it feels all right, you know. I tried to mix a lift, and it's it's tough to, you know, I'm used to playing every single day. So it's uh, when you do have a day, you kind of have to take – you know the day to, to get stronger or try to get stronger or try to maintain so you're you're constantly pushing your body down in that sense so um i lifted pretty heavy last night i don't feel the greatest today but hopefully you know um get six innings in me and, and if i can come off the bench to help the team that's kind of my focus but i'm hoping to tomorrow i'll feel a little bit better but uh you know nonetheless we'll continue to grind it's all part of the you know bumps and bruises of the season what do you do yeah you have a heavy day you're doing a circuit what are you doing here adam <laughs> uh last night was legs yeah you know okay. oh leg leg man never skip leg day i love that adam yeah he got to i especially uh my game you know my legs are most important to me I try sure. to take care of them as best i can so um like i said you try to get those lifts in when you can not to try to disrupt the, the timing of the season so last night was one of them all right well stay strong keep lifting we will uh, keep watching it's a great game last night Beautiful defensive play. Big RBI. Uh, we will be watching. Keep it up. Thanks for joining us here on White Sox Weekly. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Appreciate Adam. it. That is Adam Eaton, the White Sox starting right fielder. He is not in the lineup tonight because the White Sox, of course, are going against lefty Daniel Lynch, who will make his second career start. Plenty more to come right here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller along with Fred Hubner. This is the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. This is White Sox Weekly here every Saturday preceding the White Sox pregame show, which starts at 5.30 today as the White Sox will take on the Royals in Game 2. Your 2021 Chicago White Sox are presented by Guaranteed Rate. Learn how you can turn your belief in a new home into into action at rate.com. If you believe, you will. And to get priority ticket access this season, secure a ticket package by visiting whitesox.com today. All right, Fred, we had a pretty big release occur this week yep. as the Los Angeles Angels finally cut ties with Albert Pujols. Now, Albert Pujols is a lock to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, and he played for Tony La Russa for 11 seasons in St. Louis. But Tony La Russa was asked yesterday about Albert Pujols and, you know, the possibility of potentially being reunited here in Chicago. The more success he had and the more money he put in the bank, the hungrier he got, which is a testament to, to his character and his commitment. Uh, I always said he's AP for Albert Corfick Pools. He is perfect. 
Well, Tony, first off, just for the record, you guys are set at first base in DH. We, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you've got for sure we got Jose, and and then you got Yermin, and and even you know if if Yermin gets a little less hot, you know it's it's a good way to DH. You know, maneuver that DH, get other guys off their feet. So there's not a fit here, unfortunately. So there you go, Tony Larusa yeah. talking about how. Look, you know, he knows he's well aware of the history, but uh, just not really a fit when you consider what the White Sox have. Sure, if Albert Pujols could play center field. Right. You know, there yeah. might be a fit. But As a White Sox fan, I could not have been happier that they're not interested, even though some certain writers have said perfect fit would be Chicago. This, this. No, they lost Luis Robert, you know, a guy that is four five to a player. You don't bring in Albert Pujols, who's in like one whatever. He's not. He's 190, not one ninety eight. Yeah, one ninety. His slash is one ninety eight, two fifty, three seventy two, and he really, he's had maybe one decent, maybe two decent seasons since he signed a big money deal. And it was shocking when he signed the deal for what was it, ten years with uh, with the Angels when he left St. Louis. Yeah, it, well, it was a it was a massive deal and. You know, he was. I He's believe, in the last year of it, so he was thirty-two, thirty-one yeah, he was, when he signed it. He's he was entering his, now. Yeah, he was in, entering his age thirty-two season. Yeah, in uh, in twenty twelve when he was playing his first year of that deal for the Los Angeles Angels. And look, it's undeniable. Like I said, he's going to be a first ballot yes, Hall of Famer. But do you know what career statistic Albert Pujols leads baseball in, Fred? The all-time leader. Do you know what he? Well, you ask. I say. I say strikeouts. Not strikeouts, no. because actually, that's actually one of the few oh. things he does really well. Grounded in double plays. Bingo. There we go. Albert Pujols has grounded into more double plays than any other player in baseball history, and that is at 403. Okay. And that, at this stage of his career, is who he is. You know, you it's you have to separate the, the all-time great that he was, yep. which primarily came during his days in St. Louis. You sure. mentioned really... You know, he outs in in Los Angeles. He really had you know, you know, two years where he was you know, provided you know a a, a decent return on value for you know what what they were expecting. But the truth is, he was never ever what they were paying for. No, absolutely and not. He's he's now far past that, and so it is good to hear, at least from my perspective, that they're not really considering him. Tony Larusa understands that that reality he, he he's not the player he once was and look if you look at the circumstances under which he was released apparently he was upset that he wasn't in the lineup the day before against I'm, you know what i'm going off a of memory here right i, I should have looked it up but I, I were they playing oakland or someone he was they were up against a pitcher who he hits really well or has in his career and he was upset that he wasn't in the lineup and playing first base against this pitcher because you know, throughout his career, he's he's been really good against him. But the reality is, you know, he's not the same player no, that he once not. was. And now, when you've got a guy who is now chirping in the clubhouse and disappointed and upset because he wants to kind of, you know, seal his career with these last few milestone achievements, you know, that the, the, where's the place for him? It's not it's not with a team that's trying to make a difference and you know go on a playoff run. No, and, and here you, you look at it, and the White Sox could use some improvement. Okay, they've got Jake Lamb hitting one forty three, Billy Hamilton at one thirty, and they have Lurie Garcia at one eighty four. Okay, and that's the guys off the bench. It would be nice to have guys that could come in and hit a little bit better than that. And you also have a guy like Grandal, who's not doing anything. He's hitting 121, and uh, he's actually back in the lineup today after Zach Collins played yesterday. 
belted a home run. Uh, the nice thing is that you have Grandal, who's a switch hitter. He's He'll hit from the right side of the plate today. Collins did a good job yesterday. He did a nice job catching Rodon. He caught him in his, his no-hitter. Mm-hmm. Caught him again yesterday. I don't know if he's his personal catcher or not. I haven't checked all the games since then. But it's nice to see him actually catching and doing well and then belting that home run yesterday. was real nice. He just And it was a great description by DJ yesterday. He said the swing for, De- for uh, Zach Collins was kind of like butter. He said he didn't even feel it. He didn't even feel the ball off the bat. It's just a perfect swing and belted it to, what was it, like 420 to straightaway center, center field. It. Yeah, no, yeah, you're right about that. That was awesome. And they needed it because they, they weren't touching the pitcher yesterday. Well, yeah, Brad, point. Brad Keller, uh, self-proclaimed uh, White Sox villain, you'll yeah. remember. Yep. He's the man who plunked Tim Anderson after Tim Anderson had the epic bat flip back in 2020, which kind of started the change the game motto yeah. that the White Sox have embraced. So Brad Keller, it was good to see the White Sox uh, it really pin was. a loss on him. So we got the lineups for today. We do. 6-10 first pitch. We got the pregame at 5-30. Uh, Tim Anderson is short. Madrigal has moved up to uh, hit number two at second base. Moncada hitting third, playing third. Then you have Abreu at first. Yermin Mercedes got to get him back uh, hitting the ball. He is DHing, hitting fifth. Grandal sixth. Uh, Vaughn in left, hitting seventh. And Garcia is in center field. And Danny Mendick yes. is in right field. So Adam Eaton, as we talked about when we uh, had Adam Eaton on, uh, he will not be playing tonight against the rough lefty. And uh, well, we'll see how rough he is. Daniel Lynch making his second major league start, but Danny Mendick, who um, you know just a week ago was playing shortstop for the uh, for the White Sox in uh, at Schaumburg, yep. I had a chance to go on out and see him. He got a couple of plays or a couple of games, I guess, out in right field, and now he's going to play the outfield later on today. It's interesting. I do like Nick Madrigal slotting in uh, second in the order because I do think ultimately. That's where I would like to see him hit. You yeah, know, you know, with the ability to get contact on the ball, you know, he's still providing a, a good on base percentage. That is really where I think I would like ultimately Nick Madrigal to slot in for the majority of his career. And so I'm happy to see him there tonight. We'll see how it works out. He did something yesterday that yes. shocked the heck out of me. Yes, he swung and struck his fifth strike out of the year. He swung at a pitch that was. Over, Probably yeah. the bill of his cap high. Uh, yeah, a little. And that was that was strange that he was swinging at that pitch with a two-strike count. I mean, you don't see that very often from Nick Madrigal. Now, I know that um, a lot of people are wondering what the ultimate plan is for the White Sox in center field with Luis Robert out for a significant portion of the season and very well could it could be the you know the entirety of the season. We'll see. We're going to have to reevaluate. We'll get an update, as the White Sox noted yesterday, in about eight weeks. They'll give us an update on his status. But I think for right now, the best plan is to just assume that he's not going to be able to return. And if he does, sure. that you know that's a great bonus. But the reality is that counting on him in September, October, you know, you'll just get yourself into trouble. As we've seen with Adam Engel, that, if you count when oh no, when a player is injured until they're actually out on the field running around, you know, you better just kind of make alternative plans so that you can have yourself covered. Now, I do think the way they're currently situated, though, there's no need to rush because no. at this stage of the game, if you're going to try and trade for an alternative, all you're going to do is end up paying through the nose for that replacement because in May teams are still trying to assess where they're at. They don't want to give up significant players. And I know Paul Sullivan had an article that yeah, you he pointed did. out to me about some alter- uh, some possible options for the White Sox. But I will say, let, let's run through them because, uh, yeah. like, you know, 
there's a few on this list that I'm just crossing off right off the bat. Well, and yeah, and there's one that might make sense, but he's hurt all the time. And so he had Joey Ga- uh, Joey Gallo, the right fielder, who you know who's doing gold, things this gold, year. Gold Glover, Joey Gallo. Yeah, in I the know. in the uh, shortened season last year. Yeah, he's doing things which you've never seen Joey Gallo do. He's actually choking up at times. Yeah, that's not what you saw from a big home run hitter like this. He's one. You I'm, got- a, I'm a sucker for Joey Gallo, but and he's actually played center field at times in his career, although. Um, it's one of those situations where he can kind of fake, yeah. fake it, but I don't think you want Joey Gallo playing center field for you when uh, you you really need no. a defensive play made. A, a career two ten hitter, he leads the league with forty eight strikeouts, three home runs entering uh, Thursday. Chris Bryant, who granted Chris Bryant's having a really good season so far this season. What was he leading in homers and RBIs? I think in, in Major League Baseball. I mm-hmm. think. Um, he is playing a lot of outfield. He's played. He played some center yesterday. He's in right. He's been in left. Same thing though with Chris. Is that I love the idea of Chris Bryant in a corner if you have to use him there, but I don't really want to slot him in at center field personally. So if you're making a move for Chris Bryant, it's almost, in my opinion, well he would be best slotted in right field or left. And in left you've got Andrew Vaughn, and in right you've got Adam Eaton. And Adam Eaton plays good defense in right field. Adam Eaton at center field. I was just going to ask you that. Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure about Adam Eaton at center. Starling Marte makes sense, okay? He never became what they they expected him to be. Um, Right now, you know, a two-time gold glove winner. He's on the IL right now with a displaced rib fracture, which doesn't sound like fun. Not expected back till early June. So, I mean, what are you looking for? If the White Sox are not in a hurry, maybe that's a guy that you can look at. That is the perfect fit. If you want to talk about name appeal, and somebody who's been very productive. You know what you're going to get from Starling Marte. You're going to get gold glove caliber center field play. You're going to get a guy who gets on base at close to a 350 clip. He's got the ability to steal, got a little bit of pop as well, um, and is a very good hitter as well. One of the few guys who you can actually look at and say, you know what, you can point to in baseball and say he has the ability to hit for 300 these days. He's one of the few who actually can. So if Starling Marte were available, depending on what the price tag was, that is the perfect is. guy who I yeah. would love to see the White Sox land. Yeah, Corey Dickerson's another guy listed, also a Marlins outfielder. The Marlins mm-hmm. are in, in yeah. contention. He's more of a uh, he's more of a stopgap. I feel like I, I'm not too excited about Corey Dickerson. Yeah, but um, you know, he, he, if they if they added him, it wouldn't be it, you wouldn't cost as much as a Marte. Well, and the last guy is Charlie Blackman. Oh. Uh, does he does Coors Field come with him? I was going to say that's that's difficult. I mean. Uh, they, he's got a deal, 34-year-old, $21.5 million yeah. this season, 21 this is, next year, $10 million in 2023. Freddie, I had a huge fight with Cap earlier uh-huh. this week about, about Blackman? Charlie Blackman. He mentioned the idea of bringing Charlie Blackman in, and I started yelling because I was like, Charlie Blackman is still owed almost $50 million because yeah. they're player options. Yep. And again, he now has moved to right field. He hasn't been a center fielder in almost three years, I believe. And he's got, you know, declining play. His stats are, are really buoyed by the fact that he does get to play in Coors Field for sure. 81 games. And, I, you know, Charlie Blackman, that's, that's a terrible idea. Because yeah, the Rockies so aren't going to just give him away because nope. he is kind of the face of their franchise next to Trevor Story. And so, you know, he's a fan favorite. They're not just going to give him away. But the reality is, too, even if they were selling him, the price tag for him is just way too much money for the production that you're getting these yeah. days. Yeah, it is. So, uh, like I said, I, I'd be interested to see if Rick Hunt's going to just sit and wait. Uh, but like I said, if, if you are, you need some kind of production from Hamilton uh, and Lurie Garcia and also um, uh, Jake Lamb. The good, the good news is, as I've, we've been talking about all show long here, 
They're in first place, which gives them a little bit of cushion here where they don't have to worry so much about making a move. As long as, as, long as the pitching continues to pitch as well as it is, you know, you, there's no rush to make a move. I think they're last in the American League at home runs. That sound right? Uh, I haven't checked, but I, I believe you. You're yeah. prob- it's you know that's probably close. When you lose, you know, close to seventy five home runs sure. in the lineup, it's going to hurt you. Yeah, your starters, your starting pitching staff leads Major League Baseball to two seventy seven ERA. Uh, that's awesome. The last twenty four games at two forty five, uh, one hundred and forty two strikeouts over the last twenty four. Strikeouts are big. We'll see what Lance Lynn does. Uh, second game now. Off of the, he has not pitched in a week. You and I were sitting here last Saturday yep. talking about Lance Lynn going. He has not pitched since then because of the two off days this week. Yeah, that's always a little tricky when yep. you're a starter if you're you know, too strong. That's the one thing you're always concerned about. All right, Len Casper up in about uh, 25 minutes from now. He's going to join us. We'll talk to him about what he's seen from the White Sox on television this week. Yep. Uh, we also have plenty to talk about in regards to baseball. Theo Epstein, who is now a, a consultant for Major League Baseball, joined Bill Simmons' podcast and had a lot of interesting things to say about the state of baseball, which I'd like to, things that we've touched on in sure. previous White Sox Weekly that I'd like to uh, discuss with you. The White Sox and Country Financial are teaming up to recognize those individuals who now more than ever have faced the challenge to keep students focused on learning. Do you know an educator who deserves recognition? Nominate them for the Country Financial Teacher Appreciation Spotlight by visiting whitesox.com slash teacher spotlight today. He's Fred Hubner. Yes. I'm Jeff Meller. Up next, we'll uh, let you hear what uh, Theo Epstein had to say about cha- wa- uh, ways to change and fix That's his job now. Baseball. That He's got to fix job. it after he ruined it. So uh, we'll let you hear what he had to say, and we'll react to that right here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000, the White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller along with Fred Hubner bringing you up to pregame, which begins at 530 tonight. I will be there for you with that, your pregame coverage, as Connor McKnight and Darren Jackson will have the call because Len Casper moves to television this week with uh, Steve Stone having a week off, which means that uh, Len's going to give us a few minutes in about cool. uh, 20 minutes or so at 5 o'clock. So he'll join us and we'll talk to him about what he's seen on the field this week and just for the uh, entirety of the season as well. He also always has a lot of opinions on baseball, and we're going to talk a yes. little bit about that now, about some of the things baseball can do, has tried to do, what they're trying, what they're doing, what's working, what's not working, things like that, and kind of what we brought up with Adam Eaton also, too, about the shifting and stuff like that. I know Len's a big guy. Len thinks Len's a four getting rid of the shift, I'm pretty sure. So yeah, we'll so, and you know what? Okay, so let's... um. You mentioned the shift here. Let's lead, let's uh, go to that one then, because Theo Epstein again was on uh, the Ringer Podcast Network with Bill Simmons. And remember, Theo Epstein, you you may remember he he was in he's town a for a consultant. While. He was in town with for a while. Like baseball, yeah. yeah, he won a couple of World Series yeah. with the Red Sox. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I think most people are aware of who Theo Epstein is. I think so. Um, but Theo uh, actually talked about the experimentation that's going to happen uh, in regards to banning the shift in the minors this season. We're experimenting in the minor leagues this year with the first half, we're not letting any infielders go into the outfield. So it'll reduce the, the depth. So that advantage you get by uh, the second baseman or whoever, whichever infielder playing short right field against the left-handed hitter, that's gone because de- depth is a big part of it. You expand your range, the deeper you are. And then in the second half, uh, we're likely to experiment with requiring two infielders on either side of the bag to essentially prohibiting the shift. So there you go. They're going to play around in the minors with the idea of limiting the shift 
the depth so that they cannot get into the outfield. I have no problem with the first rule. Mm-hmm. I, I, and the second you, half, though. Yeah, if you want to shift, if you want your second baseman to play close to first base and you're a shortstop or however you want to do it, move your third baseman over there and second baseman over the bag, whatever you want to do, that's fine. But I have a big problem with not having two guys on each side or having two guys on each side of the base. It's like it's baseball. It's, you're trying to set your defense up to stop the guys. Yeah, and, and this all goes to the larger conversation you mentioned, I think, you know, uh, the league batting average is now at 233 yeah. right now as we currently stand. Uh, it ended April at, I believe, 232, which is the lowest that it had ever been right. in the history of the league. Well, thanks to three no-hitters. And we, there's another one well, this yeah, week. Yeah, we had, we had right. a fourth last night, Wade Miley. Oh, so actually two in April and two in May. Yeah, we had, so, so yeah. We, had, uh, we have had our fourth no-hitter of the season last night, Wade Miley, no-hits the Cleveland Indians. And Indians no hit for the second time this year. Yeah, that lineup is bad. <laughs> that which is good for the White Sox. Yes. But the most no hitters that we've ever had in a season is eight. But that happened in eighteen eighty four, I believe, Fred. Uh-huh. We've had seven we've had seven three times in ninety, ninety one, and then maybe two thousand four. I read it last night, so forgive me if that's slightly yeah, off, but we also had a, a um Sean Manaya went into the eighth. Yes. With a no hitter. Yes. Last and he had a perfect game through six. Yeah. So, but this is all a product of what baseball is now. And Theo Epstein talked about how baseball has weaponized data uh, for the modern pitcher and how it's so much of it, it's so much more of an advantage for the pitchers than it is for hitters. This is what he had to say Baseball as an industry has weaponized data and technology for pitchers exponentially better than they've done so for hitters. So yeah. like yeah, the, the the modern pitcher gets to like train for velocity, then gets a like a full uh, biomechanical breakdown um, of his body of his of his delivery, like how, the kinesiology of his delivery, how how it moves. Then he gets to go into a pitch lab and and get recommendations from an analytic staff about like making fine tuned adjustments in his grip to get a little a little bit more um, spin on his pitches, get a little bit, therefore get a little bit better movement. You can optimize individual pitches. You can optimize attack plans. You can op- op- optimize um, uh, repertoires. And and then at the same time, so they, so pitchers just have more going for them. Our understanding is so much greater. And even if it's outside the 30 organizations too, companies like Driveline have just done an unbelievable job at uh, helping pitchers optimize velocity and certain traits that lead to swing and miss. He mentioned driveline there. I yeah. believe Kyle Bodie, I think he founded it. Kyle Bodie okay. now works for the Reds and okay. their pitching organization, Wade Miley, yeah. obviously, uh doing a lot with him in spin rate. So yeah, it's it's the it's problematic for baseball. And this is it's interesting though. I'm thinking about it on so many different levels. The game, you know, we're watching it watching it right now. I've got people texting me. Max Scherzer has thirteen strikeouts. You read me a stat. Earlier today, when he hit ten strikeouts, he had on ten the game. strikeouts, and he became only the fourth pitcher, I think, in baseball. The other ones were in history, uh, baseball in history, baseball history, to have one hundred ten strikeout outings. The other three: Nolan Ryan, did Randy you say, Johnson, and was it Sandy Koufax or no? no. It wasn't. Nevertheless, yeah, the all-time strikeout kings, guys like Randy Johnson, was it Clemens? Maybe I don't yeah, know. it was Clemens. Um, so the all-time strikeout kings. The only thing is, like, and then I said to you though, I don't even know. Where to rank that achievement, though, because of what Theo Epstein just told you, like all this scientific data 
that is at pitcher's disposal now. Yeah. And hitters, they're not, it's not the same. They don't, they're not using these high speed cameras to change, you know, go in and uh, the pitch lab and, you know, completely redesign, figure out their grips and, and to optimize everything pitchers are doing. And then as Theo said, and by the way, starting pitchers are being asked to do as little as ever. They're saying, give me four of your best innings, let it all hang out. Yeah. And and hitters are at such a huge disadvantage right now, it's really a struggle to get offense in the game. Well, and when we talked to Adam Eaton earlier, we were talking about things that I asked how many times he looks at video, and what did he tell us? He says, I never look at video. Yeah, he's a guy who he he's just a goes field guy. Feel, yeah. yeah, he's a field guy, and which I'm sure drives hitting coaches crazy because when he's slumping, he probably would want to look at all of his his uh, you know his video and what he's doing here and what he's doing there and 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 that, so on. I, I saw a thing online earlier about um, Dylan Cease and how Dylan Cease has been used, used Codify, which I had not heard of before. Sure, just another company. It's another that, company uh, that does these things. Giving you data and yeah, and telling it, you how to make your pitches better. Right, and it helped him. He, he followed it in his last game, which was against Cincinnati. Pitched really well. Also, he had three hits. Um, you know, he, So he does all that well. And then I, I see that when Liam Hendricks first came here, you know, one of the things with Hendricks was what did he he was on a he was cut what six times, and he says one of the things one of the things that helped him was the people that codify. I think there was a guy named Mike Fisher. He said he really helped him plan things out, and he they just tell them what you what he's doing wrong. They watch him. They're able to break it down, and if they get a call, they go, "Yeah, you're doing this, you're doing that." Then he hangs up, and the next out he goes out and pitches well. Yeah, there. I mean, it's. It's it's just I watch baseball and I love the game. I grew up watching it, yeah. and you know, but it's turned into such a uh, you know it, it it so much now goes into the analytics and you know math and you know the shifting and and everything that they're doing. I do wonder, you know, is it going to weed out? just the naturally talented ball players because right. of all that you're asked to do mentally. It's interesting. Uh, one more cut I wanted to play from Theo. Um, just This is something, it's, it's surprising to hear Theo Epstein talk about there just being too much analytics in baseball. If and when there's a, a, a pitch clock in the big leagues, it no, would no, make no, sense to do it um, Here, oh. with some corresponding technology that allows, you know, because there's a lot of information in the game, you know, a lot of analytics in the game, and I think you can make a strong argument there's too many in the game right now, especially when it slows down the pace of play, you have to process all this information. Like fans don't buy tickets to the ballpark to see players process information. They want to see action. They want to, they want, they, they want to see players play. So anything we can do to, you know, put, let players play, turn the game back over to the players, keep information like in the dugouts and in the clubhouse and improve the pace of play would be beneficial. That was my bad. I forgot that there, there was a pitch clock, uh, soundbite where Theo's talking about them. they're implementing that in the minors as well. So if they bring in a pitch clock, you know, just to try, they're trying what they can to make baseball more aesthetically pleasing. But it's interesting to hear Theo Epstein say there's too much analytics in baseball. Yeah, far too many analytics. And also, you had actually sent me an article too from Fangraphs talking about where did all the homers go? Because one of the things they did was they changed the ball yeah. a little bit. And the question that the guy from Fan uh, Fangraphs, Devin Fink, wrote, he said, "How many of those now non homers are turning into uh, you know into hits versus outs?" 
and it turns out that uh, there's more outs. So now it's making it even more difficult. Thus, we have the batting averages at a you know low of two thirty three. Um, you know, while home run was the most common event for batted balls in twenty nineteen, uh, it's the third most common this season. And then they break. It's a great article on Fangraphs. They break down you know exit velocity and balls that are hit at a thirty percent launch angle as opposed to this and where they're landing and all that stuff. But if baseball tried was trying to make the game more interesting, it says here while balls are still flying over the fence frequently, the decrease in offense is likely here to stay under these new conditions. So dejuicing the ball didn't work. It didn't do what they wanted it to do. They wanted more balls in play, and that's not happening. I I listened to you say that, Fred, and I'm thinking to myself, baseball analytics very well could be a an advanced calculus class in college. Oh, my it could God. Be a 400-level class. It's, sure. it's insane right now, you know, what you're expected. I mean, it's just it, – there's so much that goes into it that it does take some of the joy out of watching the game the way I used to. And, uh, you know, I, I do it, – it makes my head spin the more and more – we hear about this and 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 just the the product on the field. That's when when you get to a twenty five percent strikeout rate. That's where you have to say to yourself, what is going on? We need to do things to change and fix baseball to make it a more fun game to watch yeah. for fans. Here you'll like this line. Then home runs are down, outs are up, batters reach base fifty four percent on fly balls hit at a launch angle below thirty degrees in April of twenty twenty one. Down eleven points compared to April nineteen, where they reached base sixty five percent of the time. So now even though they're hitting the fly balls at a launch angle a little bit lower, they're they're making so many more outs, eleven percent more outs than they made before. Yeah. So I mean it's just and try- it, they break everything down. It's it's crazy. Yeah, it's it's a lot to digest. And again, you go to fangraphs though, you know you better you better Oh my put god. Out- you better bring your abacus, my friends, because you're going to be doing some math. Well, I couldn't print up the graphs because I didn't oh, understand yeah. them. Forget the graphs. First That's, of all. You, you, need to, you, you need to be looking at that on, your, uh, on yeah. your computer screen. Sox fans, catch the action from a private diamond suite this season. Host your closest friends and family with customizable food and beverage options. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesocks.com today. We've still got to do Connor Asks. Connor McKnight has a question for you, the White Sox fans out there. And we're going to talk to Len Casper in 10 minutes from now and uh, get his thoughts on the first place White Sox. Plenty to do here on White Sox Weekly on the ESP 1000 White Sox Network. This is White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller along with Fred Hubner. We're going to talk with Len Casper at the top of the hour at 5 o'clock. Sox fans, the Chicago Sports Depot is back for the season. Get the latest team gear to rep all season long. Be sure to follow the at White Sox store on Instagram for serious sales and more for store hours and information. Visit whitesocks.com slash depot. All right, we're talking about uh, ways to change the game and potentially make it a little more aesthetically pleasing. Jim in St. Charles has some thoughts on shifting. Hey, Jim, you're on with uh, Fred and Jeff. What's up? Well, thanks for taking my call, guys. You have you brought up a number of my pet peeves. I won't go through the whole list. But when you're talking about the uh, shift, how about simply teaching batters how to hit the other way and lay down funds? I remember a couple of years ago, I was watching when Kyle Schwarber was with the Cubs, you know, and they, they, you know, they pulled the shift with him, and they had nowhere playing anywhere near third base. What does Schwarber do? Lines one down the left field line, ends up on second base. That's, you know, that's just an example. I mean, it's the same number of players that's on the defense that it's been forever. The, the, the whole idea is to hit the ball where the fielders are not in the first place. 
No, I, I hear you, Jim. But the one thing I'll say is, and, 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 and you know, if you listen to the Theo Epstein interview in a long form, you'll hear that. Um, it's, it's, I don't think it's as simple as just going the other way because of the way the science has optimized pitchers. They've put hitters at a real disadvantage. And in some ways, I know what you're saying about, like, just drop down the bunt. But a lot of teams, they'll take that. They're more than happy to a guy who can hit a home run. They'll say, go ahead and yeah. lay down the bunt. You know why? Because then you're at first base. And now you still need two more singles from the next two hitters who, oh, by the way, as we mentioned, hitters are striking out one-fourth of the time when they come yeah. to the plate. It's, it, you, you can't string together singles like you used to either because of the high velocity in the game, the huge spin rates, and these wicked sliders. It's so hard to hit. It's much harder than it's ever been. Well, you know what they could do, too? They can also, with those wicked sliders, take a few pitches. Because how often when those wicked sliders, are, they're... Hey. They're they're not recognizing them. I know. Okay, you're right. But easier that. said than done. Though it is, but if your if your coaching staff can tell you this this guy's going to beat you with sliders, he's throwing them. Look at him. What you know what I'm saying? His but, slider from one game to the next uh, isn't going to be different. No, but what I'll say is though the reaction time because guys can throw 99. You got to be ready and waiting for that because again they're only throwing four. They're only being asked to throw four innings. Some of these guys. Yeah. That it, it's, you know, that's why they're experimenting with moving the mound back as well. It's, it, you know, there's a lot of stuff. It's, it's a huge headache. And baseball it baseball's is aware of it. And they're trying to address things that will help make the game better. Jack Peterson laid down a bunt the other day because he wasn't hitting. He was at like 110, yeah. 115. And he laid down a bunt going the other way. Then the next day he had three hits. I mean, little things. Well, yeah. I know it's but, Jack Peterson still. But, but that's what I mean. Like, I don't, I don't know if it necessarily, you know, relate. Because it's not like until you start doing it. Every at bat, yeah. teams are not going to change their shift protocol. They're still going to be moving guys to shift on you because you, they know that you're more prone to do that. They're going to be like, go ahead, keep bunting. Show me that yeah. you can do it every time you go up there. Well, and the worst thing is, and I've said this over and over again, is you know, guys that, that choke up shouldn't get credit for choking up. Um, but the funny thing is, a lot of these players, a lot of these people say, listen, we don't want our guy choking up. We'd rather have him strike out than bounce into a double play. Let's. Yeah, and yeah, that's that's one of the reasons there's so many darn strikeouts all the time. Let's, they don't uh, care anymore. Let's chat with Len Casper next. Let's see what he thinks about shifting the idea of potentially limiting it in the future in Major League Baseball and just this chaotic strikeout rate that's doing everything. You know, that's completely making it's a difficult game to watch and changing all the records across baseball yep. as well. We'll uh, do that next. I'm Jeff Meller along with Fred Hubner. This is White Sox Weekly. Back next with Len Len Casper on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller along with Fred Hubner. We're here for two hours every Saturday preceding the White Sox pregame show, which will start at 5.30 tonight ahead of a 6.10 first pitch which will have Connor McKnight and Darren Jackson on the call because the man who generally calls your play-by-play here on ESPN 1000, Len Casper, has some TV duties this week working with his good friend Jason Benetti. Len, thanks for hopping on White Sox Weekly today. And I want to ask you, how's the experience been going working with Jason this week? It's been fun to watch. Hey, Jeff, Fred, good to talk to you guys. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, It's different. It's a little old school. Uh, although when teams had two play-by-play announcers together, typically they didn't intermingle quite as much <laughs> as we have. But uh, it, it's been a blast. There have been some really good games, and uh, I've enjoyed it a lot. 
Len, do you find it challenging, a little more challenging having to put on your analyst hat when you've been doing primarily the play-by-play for so many years? For sure. And, you know, you got to make sure that as a non-former player, you know, there are ways to do this. I think that uh, you, you just have to be careful to maybe not overstep a little bit. But, you know, I think Jason has, has watched enough baseball to, to have – really good opinions and analysis and he watches and I, I encourage that. I, I like hearing his thoughts on, on maybe what uh, a team should do strategically. And as I said, it's, it's been fun to do something a little bit different. Uh, I definitely love the former player uh, angle on it and, and guys who've kind of been in the trenches and who have experienced a lot of things, but you know, I, I know people sit at home and they have these conversations, so I just look at it as uh, two big baseball fans who happen to be on TV just kind of having a chat like you would maybe sitting at the bar watching the game. Do you guys wrestle to see who does play-by-play for like the next half inning, or you know, is, it, is it all laid out beforehand? We haven't wrestled yet, Fred, <laughs> but I, I've, I've forgotten on both ends of we get into a conversation and then I call a play, and then I realize, oh, it's Benetti's inning. And then on the other side, where all of a sudden I get quiet for five seconds, and then I realize, <laughs> oh, I'm supposed to call this. So that, that's that been a little awkward, but I guess a fun awkward. Sure. Uh, Len, you, you mentioned there, you know, breaking down some strategy. We played some Theo Epstein sound. He was on Bill Simmons' podcast earlier uh, yesterday, I believe, and talked a lot about some of the changes that he as a consultant is working with Major League Baseball, what they're trying to do. I'm curious from your perspective, when you look at a game and you see the strikeout rate approaching almost 25%, almost, you know, one in every four hitters who goes up there has to strike out. But it's, you know, in a lot of ways, it's not the hitter's fault. They're facing these, you know, this ridiculous pitcher uh, the scientific data that they've been armed with, you know, these ridiculous four-seam fastballs, these nasty sliders, and then you have to react. And a lot of people just say, hey, go up there and make contact. You need to uh, find a way to go the other way. But the reality is it is becoming more and more difficult to be a hitter. I'm curious as to your thoughts on what we're seeing in baseball and just uh, calling these games and actually probably having to fill more time because you're seeing so many more strikeouts these days. Yeah, you know, I want to separate the broadcast part of it from yeah. the game itself because, it, you know, having time between pitches never bothered me. I've never ever worried about having material to, to fill the space. And I think when broadcasters like me who are there every day, watch every pitch, when we talk about pace of game, invariably it, it, it feels like I'm saying, I'm being inconvenienced because the game is three and a half hours, and that's never how I want to present it. Mm-hmm. But I've been a baseball fan my whole life, and when you go back and watch games from even you know 25 years ago, things just moved faster. And so I think in terms, there are two parts: the the pace of game probably going to need a pitch clock at some point. Uh, I just think that pitchers uh, and batters have done this. I think as a result of pitchers taking time, as they have very intricate routines that they have between every pitch. Uh, It allows pitchers, I believe, to maintain their velocity because it's simple recovery time. Uh, And then you look at minor league pitchers who come up who've had the pitch clock. They tend to work a little faster, and it's something they get used to. It's something if you legislate, guys will get used to it. Suggestions and advice, those things don't work in our sport. You have to have a rule and you have to have a carrot and a stick. And I think the only way to really uh, affect pace of play is just to have some sort of pitch clock. Now, the other part of it is the aesthetic of the game. 
And, and I guess they're kind of connected in that we have these long stretches during which not a lot of action occurs. And I, I'm starting to wonder if the strike zone needs to be lowered a little bit. And because of the high pitches that guys just cannot do anything with, you know, maybe we take the letters and we make it just above the belt and maybe even make it, you know, a little lower than the knees. And, and we just make everything a little lower than it is high. Uh, I'm not sure how, how big an effect that would have. I probably would like to see it at the minor league level first. Um, I'm not in necessarily in favor of banning the shift. I don't think that really addresses any of this. I'm hesitant on moving the mound back, although I have no problem doing any of these things in the Atlantic League just to see what sort of data you can get out of it. Um, but for me, it's just lack of action, right? I think the, the number one thing is, as baseball fans, we want to see pitchers pitch, hitters hit, fielders field. And right now we're seeing a lot of pitchers pitch, hitters missing, and fielders standing around. Okay, you don't have to say this. I will say this. Watching last night's game, for the last four or five years, I've been screaming for the automated strike zone. And after last night's game, I would think some of the White Sox hitters would um, would agree with me after that. Um, are you for that or against that? Because I think until they put the K zone on TV, I was I didn't like some of the umpires' calls. Now that it's there and we get to see it on a game by game basis and inning by inning, pitch by pitch basis, it's even more frustrating as a fan to watch. Let's be very clear, guys, and, and this may sound controversial. Umpiring has never been better, and the I think the group think mentality is it's never been worse. But it, we only know because of the the box. Yeah, you know, if you go back to watching some of those Braves games where you know Maddox and Glavin got calls, I mean, it's egregious, right? It's sure. six, seven inches off the plate. Guys are graded after every game uh, because of the box. If if it's you know, a third of the ball is touching the line. We say he missed it. Uh, it's a guessing game. It's an educated guessing game. And I think most big league umpires are really good. And the calls that get overturned, in many cases, you have to look at the replay four or five times to figure out whether or not they got it right. I think replay, the initial idea was to make sure the Don Denkinger call in the World Series in 85, that that would never happen again. But what it really has become are these little ticky-tack bang-bang plays at first or a tag play at second where a guy's finger comes off the bag by an inch. And replay has gotten a little tedious. I think they've done a good job of trying to make sure that when when there is a replay, it doesn't take three minutes, that they kind of get the call made within 45 to 60 seconds. Um, But I'm also of the mindset of let's get it right. And I do think the computerized strike zone, if we determine that you know, the error rate is 4%, and, you know, the human uh, call is 8%, then we probably should consider it because ultimately you want to get it right. Len Casper joining us here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller along with Fred Hubner. Len, uh, let's uh, hone in a little more on the White Sox. They're 17-13. and 13. They're atop the AL Central, but, of course, we all know about the two significant injuries in the outfield. Meanwhile, the pitching as good as I thought it could be, I think it's exceeded even my expectations, specifically the starting rotation. I mean, Dylan Cease, Carlos Rodon pitching about as well as anybody could have envisioned at this point. Do you think that this is the rotation we're going to see all season long? You know, knock on wood, I sure hope so. Uh, I think of the teams that have um, been special over the years, and I go back to the 05 White Sox, uh, the team I covered in 16 on, on the other side of town, uh, the, the connection there was 
uh, incredibly strong starting pitching uh, and guys who were able to stay healthy uh, pretty much throughout the year. There are going to be occasions where you're going to need a Michael Kopech spot start in a, a doubleheader uh, or maybe a Ronaldo Lopez at some point. Uh, but I think ultimately, uh, if you can kind of battle that that uh, that attrition that every uh, team and staff seems to have to deal with every year, and limit those starts to you know eight or nine guys over the course of a full season, uh, I think that'll bode very well for this Sox team. And then back to your original point, Jeff, about the injuries to Robert and Jimenez. You know, I, I still think this offense can be really good, um, but I, I I do believe that you know instead of necessarily other guys in the lineup stepping up maybe that just means you have to pitch better and you can win games three to one instead of uh, five to four and so far that's what we've seen uh six shutouts so far so 20 percent of the white Sox games they have shut out the opponent and uh, i wouldn't anticipate it continuing at that rate but when you only give up a zero or one or two you're going to win a lot of ball games one of the in the first week or two of the season, we talked a lot about how we were surprised at the poor fielding. We haven't seen that of late, have we, Len? It's been pretty darn good. Yeah, they've been a lot better. Um, you're right, Fred, and I, I think that you know teams do slump defensively, and we happen to see the worst of it uh, right at the start of the season. You know who's been really good from from day one is Jose Abreu. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought he had a great defensive game on Wednesday afternoon against the Reds. Um, you know, I, I think not seeing him play every day, there was this kind of idea of he was a bat first uh, player and, and yes, his offense is better than his defense and he probably won't be a gold Glover, but um, I, I, he has saved a lot of throwing errors already uh, from the other guys on the infield. And he looks to me like he's having a lot of fun out there. And while, you know, it's been kind of a, I would say, an average to maybe below average start for him in the first five and a half weeks at the plate. He's been terrific and been just rock solid at first base. I will certainly co-sign that, Len Casper, that Jose Abreu has in the field done more than I expected. But I'll also add that I'm always holding my, my breath whenever he goes sliding into first base to make a great play. He's done that twice now, which obviously saved Carlos Rodon's no-hitter. But at the same time, I'm freaking out saying just just be healthy just just get out of there and make sure that you're okay jose before uh yeah well i think we're all saying that because right? of the uh, the injuries they've already suffered and you feel like okay that, that that's it you've hit your quota and you cannot have another everyday player go down uh for any length of time particularly the the leader of your team Len Casper has the broadcast with Jason Benetti tonight, but uh, Len, we will not be watching. Well, we'll be watching, but we won't be listening here in the studio, <laughs> but we'll be glad to have you back on ESP 1000 when you're doing play-by-play. Have another great broadcast with Jason tonight on the television side. It reminds me of my favorite line. I've never heard you, but you're terrific. <laughs> there you go. Can't be uh, Thanks, disappointed. Guys. Thanks, Len. <laughs> Thanks, Len. Len Casper, your play-by-play man of White Sox baseball here on ESP 1000. Most nights tonight, Connor McKnight has the call. Connor McKnight also has a question for you as we do our Connor Asks segment. All right, White Sox fans, time for another Connor Asks. Use the hashtag Connor Asks or hit us up at ESPN White Sox and answer today's question. I want to know what your favorite baseball-related memory is that doesn't include a baseball game. Maybe it's a trip to Cooperstown. Maybe it's meeting your favorite player as a kid. Heck, maybe it's meeting your favorite player as an adult. For me, 
Train rides to ball games were always a blast, but over the last couple of years, I've been playing a lot of softball, and a group of friends all get together after the game to tell lies about what we did and how we performed. It's always a blast. That 20, 30 hour after a game is always a ton of fun and a cherished memory for me. Use the hashtag ConnorAsks or hit us up at ESPN White Sox and tell us what your favorite baseball-related memory is that doesn't include a baseball game. There you go. Interesting twist from Connor on the hashtag Connor Ask segment. We will do that during the game, so make sure you go ahead and hit him up on Twitter, and we will uh, share some of the best ones with you during the game. Doesn't include a baseball game, huh? Because it's softball, but he said it's Just a baseball-related like... memory that doesn't yeah. include the specific game events. Hmm. Hmm. We'll mull that one over. Yeah, I'll come Fred up and I will uh, share ours with you when we come back, and we still have a few more callers who want to get in and discuss what we were talking about earlier, ways to improve the game right now because of the high strikeout, strikeout rates, the low batting average across baseball. What exactly can baseball do to make it more aesthetically pleasing? We'll talk to uh, them next. Experience the all-inclusive Guaranteed Rate Club. This private club includes in-seat service parking and unlimited food and beverage. Ticket packages start at 20 games, include flexible payment plans, and postseason options. For more information, call or text 312 674 1000 or visit whitesocks.com. He's Fred Hubner. I'm Jeff Mallory. This is White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox. This is White Sox Weekly. Yeah! Yeah! Hell yeah! Hell yes! We're 10 minutes away from the pregame show here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller along with Fred Hubner. About 10 minutes left to go for your calls. 312-332-3776. Again, don't forget White Sox Weekly for two hours every Saturday preceding the pregame show. White Sox at the Royals tonight. White Sox Charities Sox Car Raffle is back. Enter to win a Sox-themed Mazda CX-3, courtesy of Mazda of Orland Park, and show your pride wherever you ride. Tickets are on sale now. Visit whitesox.com slash car to purchase Illinois residents only. All right, Freddie, let's uh, check in with Casey, who's in Wheaton, on some ways to improve baseball. Hey, Case. Yeah, hi. What's going uh, on, Case? So I want to, I'm not sure you guys. Good. I uh, wanted to bring up, uh, you know, improving the game. It's not about shortening the length of the game. Um, as Len said earlier, there's a lack of action going on right now in baseball, but that's to the general fan. Um, you know, they might think it's a lack of action. To people like myself or, you know, anyone who just knows the game of baseball well, they know a lot of things are going on all the time during the game. And for me, uh, whenever the, you know, after a pitch is thrown and they zoom in on someone's face in the outfield or the batter or the pitcher, I think you lose 70% of your your audience right there. And people just want to look at something else, and then they miss the next pitch. They miss the next three pitches. They miss the at-bat, and they say, what happened? And innings over. How about they do a better job of showing what's going on in the game as it's happening? You know, even keeping the the center field camera view on might even help explain, you know, keep people engaged in what's going on in the game in between pitches. You know, I I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, There's a lot of times when I'm watching games where I'm looking to see something that's happening on the field and I'm seeing somebody eating cotton candy in the stands. Um, or they got a funny beard or uh. something like that. And I would much rather see what's happening on the field because you're right. For people that play the game or know the game real well, everything is, you know, a 2-1 count. 
what's going to happen next? Where's the pitcher? Where's the catcher setting up? And things like that. And uh, there's so many things you can learn, you know. And I think sometimes the guys that run the cameras and the directors and producers, they just want to show other things. Maybe, but like for me, I still get back to the core of the climbing strikeout rate and the lack of action. In, like, I know what you're saying, Casey, but part of it is you need to draw in fans too that may not completely understand the game and don't have the ability to just hone in on a pitch-by-pitch basis and watch what the pitcher's trying to do. And, like, maybe I'm, uh, because I have a 10-year-old son who right now is watching a lot of baseball these days and, you know, kind of learning it as we go along, but he, I, I can already see he's not learning the same game that I learned because of the no. lack of action. Mm-hmm. And, it, listen, you can only watch what is on, on television right now, but I do think there are, you know, I don't want to be so resistant to change because I'm looking at this. And it, the thing is, the percentage of strikeouts, Fred, it's not going down. No, it's it not. It's going just up. drastically going Constantly, up across the league. And, and that's the problem is, like, it, it's, it's watchable now at 25%. God help us if we get to 35%. Yeah. Think about how, though, in the days... You know, days of yore, way yep. back when guys would get drafted, guys would come up, and they would spend two, three, maybe four years in the minor leagues. And to, then they would be better at hitting, better at adjusting, better at doing things. Now they're coming up after maybe a half a season, but, maybe a season in the minor leagues, and coming up, and maybe the quality but, of play isn't as good, and maybe that's why there's as many strikeouts see, as there are. I think, though, when you look at it, though, the, the – it's it's I don't think it's that guys aren't capable of hitting. I think it's the the problem is that the re, you know it's so hard now the reaction time. It's not, again every pitcher is the look look at across the league the average velocity now in the game has has like up increased like a mile an hour for like the last four or five years. Like yeah. it's absurd and it's it's just you know, back when we were watching baseball and the action in the game. Pitchers would come out and throw 88, 89 in the first inning. Yeah. And they would save some in the tank for later in the game. <laughs> Good luck to you. You're not, if you see a guy go out there and throw 88, 89 to start the game, those guys are few and far between. There's only so many Kyle Hendricks in this game. Yeah, they, They're just not around. And the problem for Kyle Hendricks is if he doesn't have his command at all for the day, we watch homers get we launched. Saw that. Yeah. You know. he, had two straight, he had two straight games where in the first <clears> inning he gave up eight runs, six homers. Yeah. I mean, 10 runs, 8 hits, and uh, 6 home runs. Quickly, let's uh, check in with Tim, who's in Oak Brook. Hey, Tim, you got the uh, last call today on White Sox Weekly. What's up? Hey, guys. Uh, can you hear me? Yes. Yep. Uh, Fred, I'm uh, at Memorial Field in Downers Grove right now. There you go. Um, so I grew up in Cincinnati, and I grew up with a big red machine. And... The Reds were in the playoffs with the Braves last year. Reds had a great pitching staff, and my problem with baseball is they can't hit anymore uh, or play small ball. Yeah, they don't and play. Won't, yeah, they won't play small I, ball I, anymore. I, I won't. I won't go back to. But if you watch that series. The Reds got swept, like, you know, two to one, two to nothing, two to... Hey, Tim, hey, Tim, you know what? Give us a call back next week a little bit earlier in the show. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but unfortunately, we are running out of time here, so we're not going to be able to uh, 
let you complete your thought. We'll have to get back to it next week. Sorry about that, Tim. We apologize. Uh, thanks so much to Adam Eaton of the White Sox. Thank you as well to Len Casper. Both joined us today here on White Sox Weekly. Uh, glad to have them aboard. Fred, thank you. Yep, and, and by the way, my memory uh, is driving my brothers down to the executive house and getting autographs. That was my uh, your Connor, Connor asks. asks. Perfect. Yeah. Again, don't Back forget uh, hashtag Connor asks your favorite baseball memory not related to the game. For Fred Hubner, I'm Jeff Meller. Thanks so much to Ryan McGuire, our executive producer. Thanks as well to Sean Davis and Eric Ostrowski. This has been White Sox Weekly. Stick around. We've got White Sox and Royals coverage up next here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network.